Hi, I'm Eric Hathaway, and you're listening to the latest in a series of podcasts from sometime in Long Island City. Today, I'm featuring Natalie Michelle, a West Coast-born singer-songwriter, well-known for her appearances in Long Island City, across New York and the wider United States. Natalie <laughs> Michelle Martinez. <laughs> How do you like to be known? Well, Natalie Michelle is kind of what I've been going with since I was about 19. Um, and that call was made by one of my first managers that I had um, back when I was acting because there was already a Natalie Martinez. So where are you from originally? Um, born and raised in Orange County, California. Um, little town uh, called Yorba Linda. Um, but I moved to LA uh, when I uh, graduated high school. Okay. So did you come from a big family, small family? Um, I guess my immediate family is smaller. I have uh, just my parents and my brother. Um, we're uh, very, very close in age, 15 months apart. Um, but I have a lot of my, there's four on my mom's side, siblings, and four on my dad's side. So I have lots of cousins. Um, my, my family is all in California. My dad's side of the family is in Northern California. Um, and then my mom's side of the family is in Southern California. So we're all relatively close. And growing up, we saw each other very frequently and big parties very much into the whole family scene and holidays and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. What do your parents do for a living? My mother is a cosmetologist. She does hair and makeup. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and my dad is a, a salesman. He sells color pigmentations for plastic in all of the Western um, states. Mm -hmm. so. Any music in your parents? My parents were never musicians. My mom can carry a tune. She has a pretty a decent voice. She never practiced or anything like that, but they had great taste in music in general. So growing up, I had a lot of great records around. I had always introducing me to new music, um, what I think are the greatest. I mean, everyone has their own opinion, but, um, you know, I grew up on a lot of like classic rock, um, a lot of folky stuff, a lot of blues stuff. Dylan was really, really uh, a major player in my parents' childhood growing up. And the whole Dylan thing, a lot of Eric Clapton, um, a lot of Beatles. Yeah, that was kind of the stuff I grew up on. Is there anything that you particularly remember from when you were very young? I was crazy about Michael Jackson. Crazy about the Jackson 5. That was like probably my first cassette tape that I, <laughs> that I ever owned. I always remember like trying to sing like him and, and making up dances to his music and my, my girlfriend or my girlfriends, you know, your childhood friends, you know, when you're that young, just uh, that, you know, that was all we knew at like that age, Michael Jackson. My godmother is a professional singer. She was a professional uh, country singer back in the day. Um, her name, well, the name she went by was Darby Byram, and I just totally idolized her and her voice, and I just 
thought she was so great and I just wanted to be that. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do what Darby does. So she would spend a lot of time with me uh, singing and, you know, kind of teaching me. She lived with us for some time. So um, she kind of sparked my interest in a singer and being and singing and kind of pursuing that in my extracurriculum activities in school, joining the choir, you know, getting on a, a song team and so that's kind of what started my whole interest in music. She was a real godmother to you in terms of she, was. she encouraged you. She, and she definitely you to did. Yeah, she yeah. she actually she got me um, started in voice lessons uh, when I was eight. So I actually started singing uh, regular or been singing regularly since I was eight. I guess we, it kind of started in the church choir because um, when you're that age, there's no real group at school. I didn't start singing in groups until I was like in middle school and high school and things like that, so. Did you sing on your own at home? Whether you have um, family parties where you were showing off? That well, definitely. Kind of <laughs> my, my, my family is so supportive. I, I have a, a wonderful family who's always, you know, play and sing and do this and do that. And I was always kind of like the songbird in, in, our, in our family circle. Um, nobody else really, I mean, except for my brother, no, none of the kids, nobody else plays instruments or sings or does really anything in the arts in general. I was encouraged at a really young age. My family's always been really supportive. And then the group singing um, started when I was in middle school. I got accepted <laughs> into the choir. You have to try out. So I tried out and I got accepted and I that's kind of when I realized like, okay, I'm, a, I'm, I'm good at this. My teacher had hand selected out of, you know, there's a couple hundred kids in the choir and she hand selected five of the students to participate in these competitions. And I was one of them. So that I felt, you know, that was also encouraging me to kind of pursue this direction of music. Then from there, I, you know, I you know, graduated, went to high school and in high school there, um, there was a very, I guess, competitive group to get into. Um, it was like a song and dance group, very theatrical. And um, I really wanted to be a part of that team. And that was also an audition process. And I, I made that. That kind of started my whole acting, singing, performing on stage. So you were, you were attracted not just to the singing element of that, but also the theatrical part of it. Yes, very much so. I was very much in a musical theater in high school. I, um, I, loved, I loved the acting aspect. Wasn't the best answer, <laughs> but um, I definitely was very much into the acting and into the singing, and um, this group was just that. We started competing, and, and I started to kind of go on these little tours with this group. And after about my first year, second year, I was a part of it. You know, I became one of the, um, the solo singer. You know, you would have like, they would choose one of the girls to like be the solo singer, and then everybody else was kind of like ensemble. So going into it as a freshman, I was, of course, put on ensemble and, you know, kind of had to learn the ropes a little bit. But my second year was really great, and my... Um, our, our teacher, our coach, uh, chose me to, to be the, the solo artist of the group, which was, again, very encouraging as a sophomore to have a position like that at such a young age and such a, you know, established group was really, was really encouraging, so. So being pushed forward because mm -hmm. of your voice, mm -hmm. but also because, are you a natural actor? Would you I say? think so. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely say I did before I had moved to New York and kind of stemming from that group that I was involved with in high school. I started to take some acting classes and really dive into the whole moving away from theater but into film. And so the end of my high school years, I got involved in some acting classes for film and television in Orange County. And I kind of graduated from that class and started taking classes in L.A. And I got accepted to a really great acting school called Beverly Hills Playhouse. And I kind of left the singing for a minute. I, I, got, I was lucky and I got some commercial roles and some student films and independent films. And I started to kind of dive heavily into that for a few years between like 17 and 21 I was really just focused on acting. 
and then again, it's just, it's funny, music always was kind of coming back around. We do some exercises in our acting class that are called a, a song and dance. And as an actor, you know, even if you can't sing, you have to pretend like you can. <laughs> and they do these exercises to kind of get you more, I don't know, vulnerable or in, in touch with yourself. And I did this song exercise in front of the, my entire class, like 100 people. I never sang in front of, uh, you know, my, my peers or my, my coaches before. And my, my acting coach sits me down in front of all these people and he's like, why the hell aren't you singing? What are you, what are you doing? <laughs> You're a great singer. You need to pursue this as well. And so that kind of got my head spinning again. And I was like, yeah, you know, I really, I miss singing. I do. And I didn't, I didn't play an instrument. I, I, I wrote a lot. I, I liked, I enjoyed journaling and writing and writing poetry, but I didn't have an instrument to kind of develop my skill further. And, um, just so happens around that time, I got involved. Um, I met a group of people that were musicians that kind of were starting a band and asked me to sing in it. So that's kind of how I transitioned back, to, back into music and hanging out with these musicians and becoming part of this musical group. They taught me just a few things on the guitar, like very, very basic chords. And then from there, I just took it kind of in my own hands and taught myself. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I started to write my own songs and realize like, wow, like music keeps coming back into my life. Clearly I'm passionate about it. I can write music and you know, and I, I'm passionate about, about writing just kind of developed from there. And I went from that band to another band, to my own thing, to moving to New York. And here I am. Mm acting and singing yes and the thing that connects the two of them is performance yes but also from what you said about your acting training you you talked about it and helping you to get in touch with parts of yourself because so I know you have to do that when you play roles Absolutely. has this affected the way you perform your songs do you think in terms of the emotion you can put in the songs though the range of yourself you can put into your music? Absolutely. I feel like 
this, the thing, the techniques and skills that I learned in my acting class, I mean, I use them every day, like not even just in music, um, every day, pe people skills and communicating and reading people. And I found that, you know, people in general have a hard time being vulnerable. It's just not a comfortable thing <laughs> for humans, I guess. And um, in acting, it's essential. You have to learn how to do that. Being a writer and a musician, you are basically pouring your heart out on paper and giving that to an audience. And to kind of not get in your head about it and get nervous and, you know, you know, uh, judge your music and wonder what people are gonna think. And, you know, I kind of use those skills to kind of level myself out and um, get in touch and stop and, and not to worry. Like, don't worry about the audience, don't worry about the band, don't worry about the sound system, don't worry about, think about what it is that you're saying and what it is that you're trying to communicate to the audience and use your skill, you know, use your acting skills and your tools to just become vulnerable and kind of be an open book because that's what people find attractive. I think about music and musicians and artists in general is that they're just kind of, they put themselves out there on the line. And so I have definitely, the, 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 my, my acting days and my, my acting classes, I, I learned more in that time in my life, I feel like, than, than any other time. And even speaking, even the banter in between songs and, and you know, communicating with the audience and my band and you know, feeding off that energy, it's all, it was, it's all very helpful because it broke, it, it, it breaks the ice of being like shy or like, you know, when you go and you see an artist, you can tell it's so much easier to be engaged and, and to engage and to relate when the artist is just like out there, you know, just performing, performing, yes. performing. And it's so hard to really eat No matter how great the artist is, it's really hard to connect if they're, you know, if it's, if it's, uh, if they're kind of drawn in, they're kind of in their own world. They're not really, you know, making eye contact. Uh, with the audience are engaging or bringing people in and it's just kind of like they're just shut down you know and trying to get through their 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 emotions and I get it I totally get that as an artist it's very hard but that's why I think these skills are important mm -hmm. for me because um, it's not easy being an open book I guess <laughs> so if you were talking to say let's say you saw somebody singing at an open mic Right. And you saw someone who was rather introverted. They'd done all their practicing in their bedroom. They'd done all that kind of stuff. And here they were playing to an audience, but it didn't seem like they were communicating. What advice would you give them? How would they develop themselves to be more performing? I remember the first time I ever performed live, and it was just a mess. It was such a mess because I was so nervous. Perform music, I should say, live. Um, and the only way to get better is to just do it over and over and it's starting with even if it's just your friends you know you know getting your friends around and perform I mean that could that's almost the harder performing in front of people you know who know you and that care about you that's almost mo more difficult than performing in front of hundreds of people that you don't know yeah. so I think it's really important to um, do those things as far open mics small you know, intimate places where maybe you, you, you bring a couple of your friends for like moral support, but most of the people in the audience don't know you. Um, you're only gonna get, it's only gonna get easier. You're only gonna be able to kind of find your own flow um, if you just keep doing it. There's, there's, there's no, um, I guess there's no really easy way around it and unless you're a really good actor, <laughs> I guess. Mm -hmm. But um, even even me, I mean, my first my first few shows, I rem I remember my entire body shaking. I remember I couldn't. My hands were shaking so much. I had only been playing guitar for a month, and my my hands were shaking so much I couldn't even play my notes. I I I forgot my 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 song. I couldn't speak to it. I was laughing like it was a mess. It was such a mess. But it was my first show, and they only got better, you know. Um, but you kind of have to. It's not gonna, you're not gonna just go up there and uh, knock them out of the park the first time. You kinda have to build. Yeah, and, and something you said earlier on makes me think that one of the challenges is dealing with this internal critic. Absolutely. <laughs> 
I mean, being an artist and, and, you know, most people know this, it's, you're your own worst critic. And for me, my, my mind is constantly running a million miles an hour. I'm always thinking about my next move, my next step, how I'm going to uh, progress in my music, how I'm going to get better, how I'm going to... So what I try to do, what I try to do when I perform is stop everything, you know, stop my mind, stop, stop thinking about the audience and like I said all the elements that could go wrong or might go wrong or what these people are going to think of me and how many CDs I'm going to sell and how you know who has my mailing list and da, da 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 all these things and just it's hard to turn all that off and just be with you and and the music so let's go back now to say your teenage or early teenage years the mm -hmm. kind of music that you were into then mm. what what you were already in a performance mode mm -hmm. as singing lessons mm -hmm. you were also starting to become attracted to musical theater mm -hmm. so what kind of stuff would you have on your cassette tape or on your CD or whatever stuff format you were listening to at the time musical theater was what I was like me being in the spotlight me performing um, having fun, just kind of, um, you know, I, I just, I, I think I've just always wanted to be a performer, so that allowed me to do that. But what I listen to at home is what my parents listen to. Mm -hmm. Like, that's, that's, because, you know, what do I know about music at 13? Just right. what my parents know. All right, so there <laughs> would know? have been stuff so, being pumped at you through the radio, but maybe you weren't listening too much. Maybe you were too busy performing in terms of I, stuff on the radio being influenced by I was never, fashions and that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, I, I don't, I was never really, like, into the, I guess, the popular music when I was that age because I, I was very into, like, I, I didn't really listen to the radio very much. I was I was very into you know, my school and performing and all of friends and doing all that. But when my parents, like my parents always, we had lots of parties. We had lots of family gatherings. And, and I remember, you know, my mom, when, because I was singing, my, my godmother was, you know, getting me into singing more often. My mom would put on record, my mom would put on like Joni Mitchell or Janis Joplin. And I remember just really thinking like, wow, those girls are awesome. Like.
handful of records that are just like my go-to's you know like I'm always just kind of going back to like what I grew up on and it's it's what it's it's what my parents put out in front of me mm -hmm. so um, what's that handful of records uh, what, what would you pick <laughs> out and oh, take man. with you on a journey somewhere um what would I pick out um definitely Joni Mitchell Blue um I would definitely say Blood on the Tracks, Bob Dylan. Um, you can't really pick a Beatles record. It's kind of impossible. But um, about four years ago, I, um, four or five years ago, I was introduced to um, an artist that now is probably one of my all-time favorite, um, Ryan Adams. He, like, amazing singer, songwriter, you know, he's explored all different genres of music, but he's really influenced a lot of my stuff that I've been working on recently. And I kind of went through like a few year craze with learning about him and his music and his journey. And um, it's been, he's been very inspiring to my music um, up until this day. And I've been fortunate enough to, living in the city here, work with some people that have worked with him before, musicians that he's used, my producer on this on, on my record that's being released next month, produced a couple of his albums and um, had played in his band before. So it was very cool to kind of have that connection with somebody I admire so much. All of his records would be records I would take <laughs> with me. first write your own songs? Well, I remember, I mean, if we want to get silly, <laughs> I remember in sixth grade writing a song with my best friend who was in my, my choir with me in, in middle, middle school. Is that sixth grade? I think so. Um, and I remember, you know, of course, none of us played an instrument. We were just singing. But writing these songs um, at the, on the playground, we'd like go in the grass with our pencils and pads of paper, and we just write these songs and I still remember the the melody in my head um, which is so funny to me it makes me laugh but um, I guess that would be technically when I first wrote a song um, but something that is like you know more tangible <laughs> something that I wrote after I learned how to play guitar and things like that um, I was probably, I was 19 when I wrote my first song that had guitar and, um, and lyrics and that was, you know, 100% written by me and that was, that was because of the band I was in. The people in the band had taught me how to play the guitar and with the few notes I knew, I was like, ready, I'm like, okay, I want to write something, you know, so mm -hmm. that's, that was my first song. It was called uh, without you was the first song ever and I still to this day don't have a recording of it mm -hmm. was so. it triggered by anything in particular in your life or 
relationship or anything like that? Yeah, definitely. You know, it's always a boy. <laughs> Sounds always like some, it without you. There's always some boy doing something stupid and, you know, song comes out of it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely at 19, that was, that was about a boy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so since then, you've so since then, and recorded... Um, your own stuff. I def I have. Um, since then, I that was back in LA, and then I, I moved to New York a few years ago, and um, pretty instantaneously met a producer, uh, which just luck of the draw that I did, um, Rich Pagano, and I had kind of slipped him my demo, like trying not to be too like, you know, I'm a singer songwriter. What do you think? But more like, you know, whenever you have time, you know, here it is, and. Like, I don't know, months went by, months. And I was like, and he never, you know, reached out to me and, and we, we didn't really know each other that well. We were kind of just in the circle of people who kind of knew about each other. Finally, after months, he, he sends me an email. He's like, so I finally listened to your demo. We should talk. And I was like, so excited because it was the first thing that had ever, you know, somebody, somebody with a name and, you know, somebody that had a, a pretty great reputation here in New York was like, I want to speak to you about your music. So we had this meeting and he's like, I, I think it's great. I think we should do an EP. Um, I want to help you rearrange it a little bit, make it a little bit more uh, sustainable, a little bit more marketable. And, um, you know, let's do this record together. And I was like, okay. I mean, I just kind of needed a little like lift off. I needed guidance and he was kind of like my mentor for like my friend and still to this day i mean i'm constantly calling rich for advice and you know when i'm freaking out and i need help and he's very he's he's so great um but he walked me through the entire process i had never experienced anything like this in my life but uh, you know from uh we didn't rewrite too much but just tweaks in the songs but to you know putting the songs out on paper uh, rearranging them, um, picking the best. We didn't want to do a full record. This was my first anything I was going to release. So an e we decided to do like an EP. It was a five song EP. And we picked my, my five best songs. And um, he just took me through the whole process of how it works in the recording studio, how to set up a recording studio. You know, the jobs of like the engineer and the producer and the band and the musicians. And he got me like world class musicians, like just studio, the best studio musicians in New York um, recorded on this record. I met so many people and it was a great way of networking and um, meeting people and just seeing how the whole process worked. And I was there the, the, every step of the way. I'd go to the studio, even if I wasn't doing anything, just watching and l learning from how he interacted with the musicians that played on the record was was so interesting and very educational. And I learned a lot of things that I wanted to do in my in the future, you know, with with new music and like, oh, I've got to remember that for when I, you know, record my next record. And I, I like the way he did this. And he really brought life to these songs that just started out as a vocal and a guitar. And he just kind of built around that with these great musicians. So how and, was that funded? <laughs> <laughs> That was fun. We split everything. So he, it, we split everything 50-50. So he invested in he you. He invested in me, yeah. I mean, obviously, we didn't have to pay for the producer, the studio time, because that was him, and that was his investment. But he helped. Um, he, he and I split the cost of the musicians, and we split the cost of the mastering. And I think we s s split the cost of getting the CDs made. I can't remember. But, yeah, everything was split. But for... It, you know, studio time, the producer in the studio time, that's like the biggest expense, you know? So if that, we didn't have that, which was great. Yeah. So another example of someone in your life who's appeared at the right time exactly. to help push you forward. Yeah, I mean, really like all of my connections, anywhere, anywhere from my band to um, musician friends, to um, producers, to engineers, to, you know, whatever. I mean, it all stemmed from his connection. So this, you had the EP. Well, did the EP have a name? Yeah, it was called In My Shoes. Okay, and, and it, it had it, four it, songs on it? Five. It had five. five. And I would say uh, 
In My Shoes was probably like the hit, I guess, or the, you know, if there was a single, that would have been the single. Uh, we did a music video to that. Um, we did uh, one of the, we used Kickstarter to raise the funds for it, and we, we put together a really great music video and uh, was shot here in the city. That was extremely helpful as far as promotion, uh, promoting the CD and um, just kind of getting my name out there and getting people um, familiar with my music.
2012 I started writing my second record mm. kind of I guess you could say went through a, a you know a gray period I guess 2012 was really hard um, for me you know we could get into that but <laughs> mm -hmm. it, it was just it was a it was a very confusing time um, and I had a lot to write about so I spend most of the year writing and um, putting together the songs that um, I'm releasing next month, actually. And it's taken almost a year <laughs> mm -hmm. to record the whole thing. Again, you know, finances, this time, this entire record was funded by myself. And that was really difficult mm -hmm. <laughs> because, you know, I had, I, I, I used a different producer this time. Um, I wanted the songs to be me and mine. and. I wasn't looking to co-write or rearrange what I had done. I was just looking for a producer to take my material and put it down. Mm -hmm. um, and I met uh, J.P. Bowersock, who produced this last record. He, uh, he's like I said, he's done um, some of Ryan Adams' records, played on his tunes, and he's also um, done The Strokes. So um, he and I met immediately at We Clicked, and he had a, a, the same vision I did for these songs. So when you say you and he met, did you seek him out? Was well, it by chance? So I, I was, um, my manager at that time had a connection with him. My, my manager knew that I was like a huge, a huge Ryan Adams fan. And he was uh, somewhere, I, I, I can't remember, he was at a music venue, kind of networking and meeting a bunch of people and JP happened to be there. And when he started talking to JP, he found out a little bit about his history and who he's worked with. Immediately, he calls me up and he was like, Nat, I met this producer, blah, 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 told me the whole spiel. And he's like, how would you, how would you, I mean, we're going, we're trying to pick a producer for your next record. Why don't we set up a meeting and see if you guys click? And I said, great. Okay. So he reached out, you know, uh, told him I was a fan and you know all that and um, he arranged a meeting and we had a couple meetings uh, with different producers but I just really felt comfortable with JP and his style and in his space I went to where he records uh, we recorded at um, Mark Dan recordings in Tribeca went down to his space really cool studio felt really comfortable there old school like just I felt at home like okay I could this is this is the place I'd want to record so then from there, he started working with me and my band and just kind of arranging the songs more like we had arrangements, but he came into rehearsals and helped us like just make everything solid and have distinct parts, you know, recommended like, I think we could do something more interesting there. Like, what else do you have? You know, he's kind of the musical director. So that was really helpful too. Even though the songs were there and they were structured and I had my band and we didn't, you know, we didn't go out and hire musicians. I used my band. He came in, he kind of just cleaned everything up, sharpened it up, um, gave great suggestions. And then after about six, I, I don't know, five or six rehearsals, we, we went into the studio and we recorded, because we were on a budget, we recorded the entire thing live in 10 hours mm. we did 10 songs continuously continuously like we were ready we we got we got we were all like on you know our fourth cup of coffee ready to go we, you know we had this much time this was our budget he's there watching the clock and he's like okay go just here we go so we recorded we did every song we probably went did every song like three or four times and disregarding the vocals we pretty much had basic tracks for everything in one day. So that's almost old school recording. Isn't that it? is old school <laughs> recording, absolutely. But I liked it because that's the feel I wanted to have for the, uh, that's the feel I wanted for this record. Like I wanted it to not, I didn't want it to be overproduced. I wanted it to be kind of rootsy. I wanted it to have like, a, you know, more of like a vintage sound, more of a 70s sound. Um, and I think we accomplished, you know, just that. And you know, the engineer added just uh, just the right amount of, um, I don't know, I guess it was compression or EQs to just kind of 
give it a little bit more of a pop quality, mm. but without, you know, killing the the vibe that it had. Mm. You know? It's hard these days, isn't it? Because people listen to stuff on cheap headphones oh, gosh. on million dollar hi-fis. Yeah. You know, you, the range is massive, so it's hard to it's so hard. make the recording for exactly the right thing. And, 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 and there's so many ways that it's like, what do you do? Do you test it on the on the best speakers? On you know, not on crappy speakers. Do you do you test it on um, you know the way in the car? And, well, that's what I was just gonna say. That's exactly what I was gonna say. My engineer took the record, put it in his car, drove it on the freeway with all the windows down at like seventy miles an hour, and then decided the mix was complete. So when I was working with Rich and working with JP, couldn't have been two more different experiences. Rich, and at the time, it's what I needed, he just took control. You know, he took control of the whole project. He's professional. He knows what he's doing. I just was like, okay, go with it. You know, and I'd come in and be like, yeah, that's great. That sounds great. You know, he can't ask my opinion. And, you know, most of my opinions had to do with vocals because that's where my main mm -hmm. focus was. But with JP, everything was my call. Every, everything from the bass tone to the, to the to, you know, panning to... You know, where the keys are going to sit, where the vocal's going to sit, you know, what kind of reverb we're going to use. And I mean, so, sometimes it was almost overwhelming because I just, I'm still learning, you know, but the, the greatest, I had, I had so much control and I had so much input on this record that really kind of gave me a, um, another boost of confidence, you know, just a lot of education. I learned so much and now, and now like my ears are different, you know, like the things I hear now because of how JP like really forced me to make decisions that I just didn't think I was really qualified to make, but you know, he would always, you're the artist, this is your project. You know, this is, this is your music. You tell me what you want. I will always direct you. I'll give you my advice, but at the end of the day, it's your call, you know? So that put, pressure on me in a good way because I started to really think about what it is I want, you know, and, and how I wanted it to sound and, and things became important to me that I didn't realize, you know, were important before. So that was really cool. So that sounds like a really important process for you, starting off in this, what you call this gray period. Did that gray period feed your your creativity at that point, writing that music? You mean for this record for that this I was record, writing? yeah. Well, definitely, I think, I mean, yeah, I think that writing it was um, like super emotional and like I was kind of in it, like you said, the, the, like a darker period in my life. I was uh, working a lot of things out like internally and just, in general, like, you know, you're growing up, you're, I mean, young, I'm in my young 20s, you know, growing up, becoming, um, you know, this person, and, you know, you're going through all these different changes. I feel like it's your early 20s to your mid 20s. I mean, what, what a person goes through um, is quite a lot. Um, and so this, it's very confusing because it's almost coming from like a kid. Um, and then, you know, becoming an adult and just dealing with responsibilities and emotions and and um, especially New York. I mean, it's not easy, you know, here. Mm. <laughs> so I just it, it was it was a hard, a hard time in this music had this record is called Goodnight Stranger. And it had a lot to do with um, that pertaining to myself as myself being mm. the stranger. Mm -hmm. and um, kind of coming into uh, coming in, into my own today. And so writing it was definitely the most emotional part for me. And when I went to record it in the studio, I had already written the songs. I had kind of gone through this period already. So it was actually kind of refreshing to go into the studio in a different in a different mindset than it was when I was writing the songs because I think it would have really been a lot it would have been too stressful if I still had those emotions going on and trying to record it and thinking about budget and time and my musicians and 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 trying to you know be in the music it would have been too much so I feel I feel very fortunate that I wrote it 
took some time before I actually went to the studio to record it. Um, and I think it was helpful in the recording process that I wasn't kind of in that place anymore. Mm -hmm. But the good news is, going back to the whole performing thing, like you were saying, and like being vulnerable and kind of revisiting that time in my life, when I went to record the vocals, I kind of put myself back there. Right. You know, you can draw from I can that draw experience. from it again. I can, I really, you know, we didn't, we a couple of the vocals we did from the from the scratch track or from the tracks that we. Uh, that 10 hour day where we, you know, recorded everything, I sang. And there was a couple of takes vocally that I, I loved. I loved the rawness of it. I loved that it was in, with the band. And so we kept some of the songs mm -hmm. from that. Most of them I went back and I redid. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of when I went back and um, the more intimate, the more personal songs, I just had to go back in my mind, back to that time to really get the sound and, uh, and the feeling that I wanted. Mm -hmm. I had a hard time picking a name for the record because it's very, I mean, there's, there's, there's songs about, you know, there's like some, you know, relationship, uh, songs in there, songs about love and, and whatnot. But mostly I feel like the record is about, um, having like internal conflict with myself and finding out who I am and, um, dealing with my own internal struggles, um, as just, I felt like I lost a lot of my, a lot of the characteristics that I loved about myself as a child or a, a young adult, I felt was kind of losing that, slipping away. And I was kind of like, where did this girl go? Where, why is, where's the fun? Where's the like love? Where's the spontaneity? Where's my spirit? It's gone. Why? And that's kind of like what this record was about was finding wanting to find myself again and um and that and then one one day it, it just it hit me because i was going to sleep at night and my mind was running a million miles an hour like it normally does and it just good night stranger that those two words came to my my mind like i don't know myself i go to bed at night and I don't know who I am. And that's a scary feeling. Mm -hmm. So I thought that title was kind of cool because it can, to the, to, the, to the audience or to somebody who doesn't know what the record is about, it's very like, uh, um, I think intriguing title because it can mean a lot of things. Mm -hmm. You know, people can interpret that any way they want. And it's yeah. not until they read it or they listen to it that they're going to realize that what what that means is that and that isn't the name of one of the songs actually no it's just the name of the just album. the name of the album okay. yeah i have no songs that are titled that which i like i like that too i like that there's no like oh this is the track mm -hmm. title or you know so how many tracks are there on this album 10 10 tracks yeah yeah all written by you all, written all by recorded me. in that period that yep. one day when you lay down most of it and then you did the vocal yeah, we actually More. there's a song on on this um, the song on this record called called my, my Peace is probably the most I don't know vulnerable song I have I guess you could say it's probably relates to the whole title Goodnight Stranger the most that song wasn't re-recorded mm -hmm. so I sang that the day that we did all the the ten songs and the vocal I just remember being so in it that. JP, the engineer, myself, and my band was like, we're keeping that, that we're keeping that take. We're not gonna redo those vocals. Bye. 
I was really in the moment. That's how, I mean, maybe it's not perfect, but that's what makes it perfect. Mm -hmm. uh, it'll be ready on iTunes by May 23rd, which is my record release yeah. show at mm -hmm. Rockwood um, Stage 2. Mm -hmm. and, so um, who are the other musicians? Neil Nunziato on drums, and he's been with me since I've had a band. Um, I have uh, Billy Grant, who plays keys, and um, he's been with me almost as long as Neil. I have Tony Oppenheimer who plays bass. He's been with me the whole time as well. Um, I just got a new guitar player. Um, Neil Cavanaugh is the one who played on the record. Mm -hmm. Beginning of this year, I, I got a new guitar player and it's crazy how these things work out. He, he's actually my roommate and uh, he plays in lots of different bands. And I just, I had, I had my guitar player and you know there was never any talk about us playing together. Um, but my, my guitar player, Neil had, had, um, some, some issues. He, you know, he just had a newborn baby and just didn't have the time for it anymore. And totally understandable. And I remember like freaking out about it and my roommate coming out and being like, 
what's going on? Are you okay? And I'm like, no, I just lost my guitar player. I don't know what I'm going to do. And he's like, hello. (laughs) And so we started talking and he's great. His name's Troy Fanning and um, he's, he's an amazing guitar player. He plays all over the city. He travels a lot with different people. Um, But his energy and his enthusiasm and his talent that he's brought to the band has brought a whole new energy level. It's it's really great. Mm-hmm. And um, Neely Bridges, who's a local Queens artist, Neely Bridges, she sings backing vocals for me, and she also plays a mandolin. And That's she's cool. kind of new. She's been with us for maybe five months. Troy's the newest, and the rest of them have been been there since the beginning. So great. Yeah. So one one last thing. This is a yeah. This is. It's not a question, it's a, it's a request for a question. Is there anything that you think you would like to say about you or your music that hasn't been asked of you or something that you would like to speak about particularly about you and music? Nobody's asked me that before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. This is something that I've been going through lately, actually, that has a lot to do with, um, I guess, yeah, myself and, and my music. I think for, for me, something that I've become aware of recently is that it is so important um, for art, I think artists in, in general, um, to be surrounded by a lot of positive energy and a lot of positive people and and people that are going to challenge you to grow and try new things. And um, for me, I've had a lot of situations happen lately that have been discouraging and have, that you know brought me down and made me feel like, you know, maybe, um, oh, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm doing the wrong thing. Or, you know, and like I said, going back to the whole artist is their worst critic starting to judge my music and think, wow, maybe, maybe I'm not great. And, you know, maybe I'm not doing what I should be doing. And, and you, you, especially in the city, you get clouded with a a lot of negativity, I think. And since the beginning of the year, I've just kind of decided that I, I'm going to let all of that go and concentrate on just surrounding myself with, um, other artists and people that just only bring, um, positive positivity in a music and to like what I'm doing and being supportive of other people. I feel like when I go out and I listen to new music or I go out and I, I see musicians and I mean that does that brings so much um, inspiration into my own music and I feel like I'm giving giving to them positivity too because I'm supporting and I just feel like it's this whole circle that kind of like comes back to you. So like I said, 2011, 2012, you know, darker periods, going through a lot of things, um, a lot of negativity. And this year I've just decided that, you know, I'm really going to put everything I have into my music and my career and creating and um, make sure that I'm surrounding myself by things and people and energy that's gonna get me there. So that's kind of what I've been experimenting with this year. And so far, so good. That's great. Yeah. What a great thing to end on. <laughs> thank you very much, Natalie. Yeah, it's been great you. talking to you. Thanks yeah. for having me. All right.
you gotta try a little more When you're down on your luck Sometimes you know you're gonna hit the been listening to Artist Portrait featuring Natalie Michelle. In the show you heard Ben by Michael Jackson, A Case of You by Joni Mitchell and Sweet Illusions by Ryan Adams. From Natalie herself you heard two songs from her first EP In My Shoes, the title track and No Money, and from her upcoming new album Goodnight Stranger, two tracks Peace and Blue Moon. Sometime in Long Island City as a non-profit-making community venture. <laughs>